Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you have found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Podbean, or any of the others. That way you'll get all of our old episodes as well as all of our new episodes as soon as they post. Also, check out the other 12 podcasts in our network. That, of course, includes Three Yards Per Carry. They've been first on the Tannehill News uh, pretty much uh, all of the last two weeks. Also, Miami Heat Beat, Swings and Mishes, which is hosted by Craig Mish. I know Cliff is familiar with Craig. Um, also, Goldie on Ice, which is hosted by Steve Goldstein, and Fish Tank, which is hosted by O.J. McDuffie, as well as Seth Levitt. And they actually uh, they went away from form this week. Instead of a football episode, they had they spent an hour with Andre Dawson. So make sure you check out that episode uh, on Fish Tank this week with Andre talking about growing up in Miami and obviously his Hall of Fame career. But today we're going to do a little bit more baseball on the pod. We're going to welcome in an old friend. You can find him on MLB Network. You also can find him on Sportsnet, where he is a Toronto Blue Jays analyst of course he spent some years some very productive years with the marlins and he's also obviously one of those old montreal expos from all those teams that would have won championships probably if they they'd stuck together and that is cliff floyd cliff thanks for joining us today really appreciate it no thanks for having me uh let's start with the series because because we're right in the middle of this thing um as we're taping it's it's right after game one i think this is a series that a lot of people wanted to see obviously you got two big market teams a lot of stars on the two teams I just want to go through the two teams a little bit with you before we kind of move to what's happened in the series, because what has surprised me this year about the Dodgers is that they made it here with almost an entirely new lineup than they had last year. Obviously they had an injury at short, they brought in Machado, um, but they've made changes in a bunch of other places. And I'm just curious from your perspective, as far as how they've gotten here this year, has it surprised you they've been able to overcome the slow start, the injuries, and everything else? Well, absolutely. I think when you look at how this game is played every day, you don't typically see two lineups as the Dodgers have featured. And I think sometimes it helps you, I think, as, as an organization when you, when you can have the players, but you have to have the players that the Dodgers have to go out there and be able to do what they've been doing. I mean, you, know, you look at last night lineup, you know, David Fries is in there, Brian Dozier's in there, no Puig, no, you know, so, so I, you know, no Muncy, no Bellinger. So when you have two lineups, obviously everybody has to stay on course and pretty much be accountable, but it's tough. And then, you know, to answer your question directly, yes, it's very surprising to see where they are because of, you know, how hard it is to get guys to platoon and be ready when you're everyday players. Brian Dozier, everyday player. Cody Bellinger, well, he's everyday player. You know, Jock Peterson, these are everyday players. Puig, and you can go down that list. And it's hard to get guys to consistently buy in to sit in there waiting for opportunity to play when their mindset is, I should be in there every day. In terms of game one, I was fascinated by all the Clayton Kershaw conversation afterwards that it's another World Series start and one where he only lasts four innings. And just the idea that even still in 2018, we're discussing the idea of players being different in the regular season versus the postseason. I kind of thought that numbers kind of, you know, and analytics kind of changed that conversation. But it's a very old school kind of conversation. Based on your playing career, do you think that players can be different in the regular season and the postseason? And do you believe Clayton Kershaw to be one of them? Yes, I do. I just look at this whole, you know, this whole dynamic and how the game is evolving. You know, we, we have starting pitching going four innings. I mean, star pitchers. That the, the matchup yesterday was a heavyweight. That was it. Chris Sale, Kershaw. Like that, you're supposed, that, that's supposed to be, in, in my eyes, in my mind, a 2-1 game and they're fighting, you know, then a bullpen piece come in. It's not the case anymore. I, I think we're having, you know, regular season guys that be great and then the postseason comes and then it's how do I win today? How do I get, you know, my guy to go for it? And, you know, I think uh, if you're Alice Cora, you're probably only asking David Price to go for it tonight. <laughs> and to see and look, I, I know the conditions are bad, and I'm not making excuses for anybody because I've, I've been in those shoes. I've been in bad weather and so on and so forth. Chris Sale left that game last night to a standing ovation. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, he's winning the game. But this is Chris Sale. This is one of the dominant pitchers in our game. This is Clayton Kershaw. This is the first ballot Hall of Famer type cat. And it's, it's watching guys consistently. And whether he's getting squeezed or not, talking about Chris Sale, you know, 91 pitches through four. And Clayton Kershaw is battling. We're talking about, you know, his fastball after the game 
not being what it used to be to get guys out consistently. I don't know if these guys are not going to give me the quality. And we're talking about, you know, Nathan Evaldi from, you know, from the Red Sox being your best pitcher in the post. I mean, how do you, how do you stay true to your guy? For me, it's about getting a dub. And if Nathan Evaldi is that guy, I'm going with him. Like, I, I, if I was managing, maybe I'll never get that opportunity. You, you can't question me if I started Nathan yesterday as opposed to Chris Sale. Or you, I started Nathan opposed to, to David Price. I just, I just feel totally different about how, you know, how, how, how these managers go about the business. Look, and Alex Cora has been tremendous. I mean, he's been outstanding through this postseason. I mean, he's been outstanding through the whole season. I just think sometimes we, we, we fall into, well, he's the best guy for us right now. And in my eyes, it might not be the case. Cliff, why has this happened? Why? I mean, cause it's not, this hasn't been going on that long. Like, I mean, if you go back no. 10 years, 10 years, it's like two I mean, years. I, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm going back 15 years. So I'm dating myself a little bit, but I mean, if you look at the 2003, uh, you know, world series, I mean, Jack McKeon expected Josh Beckett to go nine innings on two days rest. Yes. Like, I, like, like, now, like, like now, I mean, we're all of a sudden, like you said, it's like you're in the third and we're watching pitch counts and wondering who's getting up in the pen. So, is right. this is this coming from the sort of the analytics general managers? Is this coming from ownership that don't want to burn out pitchers? Is this coming from managers who are kind of, uh, I don't know, afraid, like you said, of losing one game and what it's ultimately going to mean? But I mean, the game doesn't even look the same to me anymore. Like it, it's it's totally different. And like Chris said, it's it's a recent. Is it two years, three years? I mean, I, I just I feel like we've gotten. I mean, five is supposed to be what you need to win a game, and it's like that's not even. I'm. Mean, Pitchers start like you said. Star pitchers aren't even getting there anymore. No, I mean, and this is not. This is this is the elite of the elite pitchers. These are not like the third stars. Rick Porcello is. I mean, when you start talking about, let's forget the money. Talk about to you know direct to y'all to to your question. It started recently because of the bullpen situation that started in Cleveland, and when that came on the scene. It was like, wait a minute, how do we get longevity out of our starters and then build these bullpen pieces? Now, I don't think you want, as an owner, your star pitcher in the bullpen. I don't think you want to see David Price or Rick Purcell, who you gave a ton of money to, or Clayton Kershaw closing out game, you know, uh, game seven uh, to get you to the postseason. I mean, I'm sorry, to get you to the World Series. Anytime. But this is what we're seeing. This is a trend we're having, you know, come crunch time come October if Kershaw can't can anyone like is is there a pitcher I mean I guess Verlander did a lot in this postseason but like who, a couple years ago we was talking about Justin Verlander needs to do something mm-hmm. right now all of a sudden he gets to Houston and he figured out he's like oh snap this is I, maybe he was saving his bullets when he's in the tr- I don't know but Justin Verlander now is the guy like when when you know when when you look at Justin Verlander and what he brings to the table I look at him as going six, seven innings for sure, as opposed to anybody else in the game. I just that right now he has to be the top guy in our game as far as going out there of the elite and and giving you a good six, seven innings and feeling comfortable about it. Talking to Cliff Floyd here. Uh, I want to switch to Boston for uh, with you for a little bit uh, because I found them to be interesting this year because I I think when when the Yankees got Stanton and sort of threw him on top of Judge and Sanchez and everybody else in that lineup. I think the consensus was that the Yankees were going to sort of run away with that division, even though Boston appeared to have better pitching um, on paper. When you look at the Red Sox going forward, they've got a lot of good young players at this point, starting in the outfield. How sustainable is this for the Red Sox going forward? If they can win this series, can this be a run for them? Or with Houston in the American League, uh, is it going to be challenging for them to kind of build that up consistently? Well, it's definitely going to be challenging because obviously I, I believe Houston will be, you know, will be back in this thing. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that you come down the stretch and you don't have healthy players. I, I just think that they've done a really good job talking about Houston as far as building a rotation um you obviously you need help um and, and and you know not having a, you know the, the horses to to go out there and, and and battle um you're probably not going to you know um you're probably not going to win it each and every year but I think it's very hard to repeat um I think Boston has done a really good job Dave Nabrowski has, has literally I mean he's he's found diamond and rough type players I mean, Steve Pierce, he got him at the right time from Toronto. When I mean, you look at Nathan Navaldi, he got him at the right time. He was pitching well. So all these pieces have to come together. But I think when you when you can we can go out there and feel the biggest void that you have. When you look at going out there and bringing in J.D. Martinez. When everybody else looked at their roster and go, you mean tell me J.D. Martinez does not fit 
Yeah, he fit in everything, and he's gonna make everything better. But the glaring hole is when Big Poppy left, and you and you replaced him with JD Martinez. It made everybody's job easier. You were able to keep Mookie Best in the leadout spot, and then you have a true and I hate using the word, you know, he's a ball player, but Andrew Benatendi is everything you want. So you have defense, you 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 have starting pitching that you can you can figure out throughout the season. You have guys that you bring on at some point. You find Ryan Brazier's of the world. You find Matt Barnes do what he's doing, um, and you just you just you just roll. But when you have the luxury of having runs on the board and you can give up a few runs, the pitching don't seem to, you know, be a problem. And I think that's what they they figured out. They go, look, we can score enough. We're going to put pressure on this team offensively, and our pitching is going to be able to sustain, give enough four or five runs a game. And I think it's going to be it's going to be something that they can, you know, they, they can have for a while. You know, is it, when you talk about dynasties and talk about things like that, I think you can go either or. It's, great to always have both offense and, and 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 defense and pitching but i think when you look at what the red sox are today i mean this offense is a problem it is it is dangerous it is it's it's long and you make any mistake david freeze made one mistake he didn't catch that ball from mookie best and look what happened in the first inning yesterday wanted to ask about so i'm i'm a marlins fan who's you know obviously mainly dialing into the playoffs because obviously you know the, the marlins aren't a, a tremendous team at the moment, although we'll, we'll get to the moves that they've made already in this offseason. But one of the things that's been kind of weird for me is watching Anibal Sanchez start playoff games, watching Nathan Ivaldi be like one of the five most important pitchers in the World Series. And I'm like, hang on a second. These are guys that like the Marlins didn't have use for years ago. Uh, how, how did those guys and, and is this just something that I noticed because I'm here or is this something that generally happens around the league where maybe a team didn't have regard for someone and he can contribute elsewhere? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just something that we're, you know, we we have come to realize down in South Florida that, I mean, we, we've let some players leave our, our our team, right? Our organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, from we go, it goes back to when we won the World Series in '97. Think about all the players that left, you know, that organization. And um, I, I think as you move forward, um, and I've had a chance to talk to DJ a little bit. I, I think when you when you have the situation. Um, with Jose Fernandez, it sets you back, man. And I don't know how far because I believe he was that unbelievable of a pitcher. And then you don't have the other players that come along that you thought, Adam Conley's and so on and so forth. And I know you mentioned Anibal, and I know you mentioned a lot of different names. But I think when you when you have a team that does not win, and then you, you switch ownership, and you you know possibly you have to you have to figure out a, a way to. Um, you know, save some money and so on and so forth. I, I just think losing certain players, unfortunately, the situation with Jose Fernandez sets you back as far as the organization. It's, it's you, you, you're now hoping that what you get back in return for these players that you traded, the whole outfield, pan out to to turn this thing around quickly. It, it is unfortunate. I, I, I believe you build and I believe if you own a team, you enjoy what you have on that field and you add to it. We had the best outfield in the game. I think you, for me, if I had a billion dollars and I was on the team, I'm adding to that. I'm not subtracting. I'm not figuring out a way to put $400 million in my pocket to make this make sense. That's why I'm probably not owner because I would just, I would probably spend too much and I would probably be put my team in, in bad predicaments. I don't, <laughs> I don't for you know I don't think it's great to to throw good money at bad. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you have something that you build off of to make up for what you lost. And I thought you know this it was very hard to see those players leave, and it's been very hard to see the players that have left the organization leave because I believe you can you you can build something that of, of substance down there in South Florida, and you have everything that you need to do it with. You have a new stadium. You have New you know, you have all these things. Let's fill the stadium up and keep these people happy that's coming to the ballpark. And look, you just made a great international move that was outstanding um, with the brothers from Q. I, I, that that's great. But I still believe that what you've done with the with the trades, they have to pan out, or you're gonna be down where we've been this year and and and, and the last couple for years to come because it's just hard to compete with players that are not polished and and ready to be big leaguers every day. Yeah, I want to follow up on that in a second, particularly Yelich's uh, conversation I want to have with you. But there was one thing I, I wanted to ask, because you spent a good chunk of your prime 
here. Um, I mean, basically between age 24 and, and 29, you, you were here. And I mean, you had, you know, a 90 RBI season, a 91 RBI season, 103 RBIs. I mean, 22, 22, 31, 28 home runs, uh, you know, and, and so how frustrating was that for you? Cause again, you, you were, you know, 97, you were familiar with that feeling. Right. And then, right. And, and, and then 98, they break the thing down. What is it like, because I'm thinking of, of JT Riomoto right now, right? So, uh, so you know, he's the best player on the team at the moment, okay? He's, he's the one who's left. And he could have been traded at the deadline last year. Clearly, you know, Washington was interested, Houston. There, there were teams that might have made a bid for him. Um, and now there's a question about whether he's going to be here going forward or he's somebody that you should flip. But when And he's entering his prime. Now, when, when you're a player in your prime playing for a team that doesn't have hope, what is that like when you're doing that year after year? Well, it's not fun. Um, it is very tough to keep the competitive edge that you need to be consistently good every day. Uh, it's very hard because <clears throat> he's very important for the growth of the squad. I mean, your, your catcher is involved in everything. I mean, he's making your pitches better. He's making the guys that you hope to pan out. As I mentioned about panning out, you, well, he's a big part, integral part, in making sure that these guys develop right. And he's, you know, he's putting the, the you know, the, the the right signs down every night. And when you're not, com- you know, when you're not competing, and it's not from being non-competitive, it's just competing every day. When you're getting your head beaten every day. Very hard to come to the ballpark and stay focused. I remember, I remember seeing Stanton walk from his car to the clubhouse, and I, now this is all speculation. The look gave it gave off, man. This is tough. That's what the look gave off when he was there. So it has to wear on you when you day in day out. You know, you get you getting beat up. You only win in sixty games. You know, do you? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? And I've been a victim of that. I've been a victim of saying the wrong things at the wrong times. And we see it all around the sport. I'm up here in New York right now. They're they're destroying Beckham. But you saying the wrong things at the wrong time. The team's one and six. Same on the baseball field. Same on the court with LeBron and Lakers. He missed two free throws. Well, they they killing them. And 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 it's just tough to consistently stay in that grind mode when you're getting beat up every day and. You know, you feel for guys, but he won't be the last, you know, he won't be the last guy in this bad situation like this. So you, this this is when you find out who you're really made of and um, you hope that, you know, they they, write, they they make the right decision. And that you as a ball player, this is where the business side comes in and you understand it wholeheartedly. And, and you say, look, I, I'm here to play ball. And at the end of the day, when it's time for me to make a major move, then you welcome free agency with open arms. So I want to follow with you on Yelich in particular, um, because I, there were look. You talk about having the best outfield in baseball, and I don't think there was any question that that's that's where they were. Uh, and there was so much talk about Stanton, and then I think there was a feeling that they would trade Ozuna. I mean, Loria had tried to trade Ozuna a couple of times, but the Yelich one is the one to me that I just don't get. And and I I know we had on our uh, baseball pod, Craig had Michael Hill on with him and kind of gave him a chance to sort of give the real reason, which is, you know, what a lot of us have heard that, you know, that Christian really wasn't happy behind the scenes and they were a little bit concerned about him kind of as a clubhouse influence uh, going forward. But but to give up that kind of talent when it was just on the verge of breaking out, like you'd seen him cross the 20 home run threshold, you knew there was more in there. And, and then as we saw this year, we don't know what those players are going to turn out to be. Obviously, it wasn't a great start for some of the guys that they got back, even though they have high upside. But what was your feeling about that one trade? Because we've talked a lot about Stanton, but the Yelich trade in light of the fact that he is an NL MVP candidate. Well, that was a, that was a conversation I had with, with, with Jeter. And we it was during the 25th anniversary reunion, and we didn't get a chance to really connect, and we were supposed to go to dinner. But that was one of my questions is why him? And I knew it I, from, from just our two – Two minute conversation. He sat down for a minute. He was like, "We'll we'll we'll get back on this one." And we haven't gotten back yet. But I think for me, I'm just like you. Why why Yelich? Why I don't get it. But then you start thinking about and understanding. You know, um, Jeter played the game for a long time. A legend in his game. I, I I think if Jeter wasn't a part of the Marlins organization, Yelich would be there, even with new ownership. My point to that is, he felt like. The road it was going to be, the bumpy road it would be to have a guy that was disgruntled like Yellows was going to be and very vocal would probably be bad for that clubhouse moving forward. It wouldn't grow 
in the direction they wanted to grow. It wouldn't allow Don Manley and coach staff to be who they need to be. That That's just my two cents on it. And I felt like he, he was like, look, this this is not a good match. You don't want to be here. I'm going to make sure you're not here. That's just coming from a player's perspective and probably from how Jeter's been obviously in this game for a long time and respected. As you move forward, I don't think Yellich is the player he was this year in a nationally East ballpark. Do I think he's a great player? I've said all along he's going to be a batting title champion at some point. Did I think he was going to be <laughs> this guy? No. My breakdowns on Yellis this year were based on the parks he played in the National League Central. I, I just believe some of the balls he hit, and I showed I showed America. I said, look, these balls he hit left center in front of the scope shot there. The balls he hit the dead center. The balls that they were robbing him, in, those are all out. My man was making left turns to the dugout in Marlins Park. He goes to Miller Park. He goes to St. Louis. He goes to Chicago, Cincinnati. He turned into a monster. I think they did him a favor. I think he's going to be great. I think he goes up. I think he, all you can hope for if you're the Marlins that you get what you got back is going gonna, is gonna to pan out. I think Brinson is better than he's played. You can't, And that's hard. It's, it's, it's easy to come out. Hard for y'all to believe. I get it. I, I just think he's better than what he's shown. He's trying too hard. He needs to chill a little bit and just play. Forget that they've traded you. Forget that they've put you on, you know, they, 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 didn't, they didn't look at you as being a star. Forget trying to catch Yelich. Just be you. But for Yelich, I think, man, he, he, he hit jackpot by going to Milwaukee. We'll get back to Cliff Floyd here in a second. But first, I want to tell you about the BetQL app, one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can find the BetQL app for free on iTunes if you're Apple or if you're Android. Download it on Google Play. You would not go and bet on the stock market unless you knew something about the stock or the way that the chart had been moving. Why would you do that on sports? Chris, what are some of the things we found on there? Yeah, all kinds of great information available on BetQL the app you download it in the apple app store or google play so here's the kind of information that they give you i'm looking at the nfl window right now this week the london game features the eagles taking on the jacksonville jaguars sir blake bortles uh back in london but they believe beck you all does that the philadelphia eagles are a big time play here they have them as 11 point favorites the current line is three and a half so they want you to hammer the eagles in terms of the data they can provide they have 66 percent of the bets right now from the betting public going on the Eagles. In terms of the sharp money, it's even bigger at 85% of the money going on Philadelphia. They don't feel this line can be big enough, and that's the kind of data you can find over at the BetQL app. So again, get to the Apple App Store, get to Google Play, and download the BetQL app today. Want to get to a pair of players who will certainly go a long way towards this rebuild, and uh, they are the the Mesa brothers, the uh, Victor Victor and Victor Mesa Jr., who they just signed using that international pool money. They bring him in, and I always kind of felt like this should have been the Marlins' corner. If they're not going to be a team that's into you know player acquisition via free agency, they should be the ones that are trying to go for ex-Cuban baseball players in this community. Uh, you'd, you'd endear yourself if you brought in Cespedes and Puig and all these guys that have come over and made an impact they're now going forward with this new uh, to me arcane and circuitous international pool money but what did you make of the uh, of those two signings so i loved it i thought i thought it was exactly what you just said um as far as the importance of the community i mean you have to you have to make sure you know that the community is is, is all in and by 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 having these two you know in, involved in the community it's going. You're building something. You're building your brand. You're building the organization. You you're 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 showing the community that that you know you are out there fighting to get better every single day. And you know the community's hard-earned money that they're coming to spend in that stadium. Uh, you you're getting a chance to relate to the players that are on this team. So um, it's a step in the right direction. Obviously, you have to. You, you don't stop here. Um, but at the same time, just like that, you know. When you look at the White Sox, whatever you get, whatever you have, it all has to pan out. You can get, you can make trades, but what you get back has to pan out. You can't look at these teams as you move forward and look and think you're going to be the Houston Astros. No, that, you're not going to be the Houston Astros. You know, it's just they're they're different. But what you have is something you have to build on. I thought, you know, that signing was awesome to see, um, and I think it's definitely even better when you talk about the community and where they are. Last one here for Cliff. Um, and Andre Dawson talked about this a little bit on Fish Tank when he was on with OJ. And OJ, obviously, you know him well, and he he's kind of a baseball guy at heart <laughs> deep down in there somewhere. So they ended up talking a little yeah, baseball. Yeah. They, yeah, they ended up talking a little baseball on the pod. Um, and one thing that came up was African-American players and, and kind of the – 
you know, the sort of the deep dip that we've seen over the past 20 years with a slight comeback recently. You were a multi-sport athlete yourself. Um, how does how does that change? How how do more um, young kids decide that this is the sport that they want to play? Well, I think Major League Baseball um, is doing a really good job of, of making sure that, you know, you, you talk about uh, or they you, you go out in the community and you do things that's going to show that baseball is a great sport. I think it's also up to us, not just the current players, but the ex-players. Go out in the communities and show that baseball is a great sport. Um, I think it's important for us to speak about it. Anytime we get opportunity to speak about how great of a sport it is, you know, do you know that it gives you longevity? Do, do you know, I, I mean, when you're done with the game, you don't have all these, you know, situations that the NFL is dealing with uh, as far as concussion protocols and changing their sport to make sure that, you know, you, 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 you can't, you can't touch the quarterback. You can't do all these things. We don't have those issues. So, but I think our players that play two sports, and I think the guys who love the game of baseball, you know, you 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 have to cons- consistently talk about it. Um, it's like anything else. If you don't, if you if you're not branding, you know, wh- whatever you're doing, then obviously it's, it's probably going to lose lose its weight. I think that 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 in itself uh, is important. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. You know, the percentage shouldn't be where it's at. Um, I do believe as far as keeping African-American players visible and, and showing Mookie Betts more and showing Jackie Bradley Jr. and, and, and on down the list, no matter color, it just matter about just communicating and letting you know letting the community know that baseball exists and it's great. Uh, and more and more African Americans are playing it. Um, and also, you know, I think helping to 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 get kids the equipment needed. That that in itself, that's one thing that I think's been lost in this whole this whole thing is baseball is expensive. It really is. I mean, I you know you 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 think about you know what's needed in baseball, man. It's a lot. You know, bats. Gloves, you know, band gloves, spikes, it's not cheap. So I think as, as far as getting more and more equipment out to the kids and, and, and having more camps uh, and expressing how, like I said, how, how great of a game it is, is, is going to be uh, huge as far as growing um, and, and getting that percentage up to where, you know, we're never comfortable, but you, 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 you appreciate it. Got it. Cliff Floyd. Now, Cliff, let us know a little bit because I know you do a lot of foundation work. What, what have you had going on lately? Yeah, man. It's just, um, the Cliff Floyd Foundation, um, you know, you can um, check it out. Check out the website, CFF30. Um, we, we, we normally do a bowling tournament every year. Um, this year we did a backpack drive for kids um, uh, getting back to school. We're going to do a clothes drive, not just, you know, uh, the youth, but also high school. Uh, college. I'm gonna try to do not try. I'm going to do two scholarships, um, boy, girl, GPA. I'm gonna pick a school to to help them uh, as they get ready to go to college. And those are things that I I, I want to direct my attention to more so um, than one thing in particular. I believe that you can help in different areas. Um, I believe in helping getting kids off the streets and doing things constructively. You know, not just baseball. Maybe you maybe you want to be an analyst. Maybe you want to be a coach. You know, being able to to, to assist you in those areas. So those are things that we're, we're trying to move on. Um, and it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I, the back try, the, the, the backpack drive was important for me, man. I, I didn't know I was thinking now as I was driving over, I was like, you know, I got an hour for this because life takes over. My son was like, well, how long are you going to be? 
because I need you back here because I got football practice. I'm like, okay, give me a minute. <laughs> get over there and it's like amazing i mean it's these kids thought they were getting backpacks just just backpacks they didn't know they were getting supplies parents didn't know they were getting supplies uh it, it was amazing to see their faces um and i think the last thing i'll say is when you go outside of your community you know it it, it could be you know inner city whatever case it be it's good to be uncomfortable and i you know you don't always have to be comfortable it, it was very good for me to be uncomfortable and 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 go do what i did and not know the community I was in. It was awful sunrise out there, and I was, and it was great. And when I left, I felt like, you know what? If it's 100, 200, 300, we gave away 500. It, it don't matter. It, it's, it, it's just from the heart, man, and, and that's all I'm trying to do. So, um, I, you know, sometimes I think we get, you know, we get caught up in trying to be too smart for our own good as opposed to just helping from the heart and keeping the movement. All right, so definitely check that out. Uh, final thing, sh- real short answer on this. Better bowler, you or McDuffie? Oh, he, he got me. He got me right now. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say something else, but I, sometimes you just you need to shut up and be like, yep, he got me. Good. I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to go. All right, I'll check him out yeah. at... <laughs> we'll check him out at cliff floyd 30 uh, on twitter check out the foundation hopefully we can visit with you again um and real quick pick in the series uh it's 1-0 as we're talking now you like the red sox you like the dodgers i'm gonna keep this real quick um i don't think the dodgers have enough if they if they lose if, if the dodgers lose tonight uh this might be a shorter series i i, I predict the seven it might go less than seven i'm predicting the red sox red sox and five all right cliff floyd check him out at Cliff Floyd 30. We'll talk to you soon. No doubt. Thank you. We've got an announcement for you on the five reasons sports network. We have another watch party. Now ignore the fact that we are Owen four in watch parties. We've seen the dolphins lose twice. The heat lose and the hurricanes lose. It'll turn around we, at some point, Ethan. We're it'll turn around. At some We're going to win one. Probably not this Thursday night, but Thursday night, Thursday night at township in Fort Lauderdale. Now this is a new restaurant. It's right where Riverfront is. It's on the corner of Las Olas and Andrews. If you're familiar with Tilted Kilt, it's in that space, and they've really done a nice job with it. And we've got drink specials. We've got food specials. We've got beer specials. We've got pretzel specials. they got 20% off their great pretzels all night long. And we're going to have giveaways. So we're going to be giving away Five Reasons hats. We're going to be giving away Miami Heat beat shirts. We're going to have hosts there. We're going to be giving away Devontae Parker for a conditional seventh-round pick if you get there early enough to give us that seventh-round pick. So come out to Township. We're going to get out there starting at around 7 o'clock. It's going to be a great crowd. They've got big, big TVs. It's a great space. Hosts from a lot of the different podcasts in our network. We can complain about the Dolphins together, drink, eat, and win free stuff. All right, thank you to Cliff Floyd for fulfilling the baseball portion of the program today. Now we're going to switch over to football to another guy who had a lot of success playing in a uniform down here in South Florida, and that's linebacker John Offerdahl. Today we're going to speak to one of the best linebackers in Dolphins history. You also know him now as the Gridiron Griller. You've probably uh, eaten some of his food over the years down here in South Florida. You can follow him at Gridiron Griller. He was a five-time Pro Bowler between 1986 and 1993. We have John Offerdahl with us. John, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, I, I want to start here with you. We're going to get into the big event that you've got coming up, but I want to talk a little bit about the current team because I know that you, mm-hmm. you still follow it closely. And I want to throw this at you. Since, and again, you were a five-time Pro Bowler in, in eight seasons and a two-time All-Pro. Since Zach Thomas was drafted in 96 in the fifth round, the Dolphins have drafted 26 linebackers, and none of them have made the Pro Bowl since Zach. What, what has, wow. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing stat. What has happened at that position, in your opinion? Because I feel like they, they've gotten a lot of other things right on the defense, but they have not been able to find playmaking linebackers the past few years. Yeah, now, so I'm going to ask you a question. Does, does that include outside linebackers? It includes everything, actually. It, includes, it, it even includes um, a couple of guys uh, like Olivier Vernon, who, who didn't make a Pro Bowl, but he was drafted as an outside linebacker and obviously played at end a lot for the Dolphins before the Giants uh, plucked him away. But, yeah, none of, none of the 26 they've, – they've drafted 26 guys during that period of time, yeah. and none of them have made a Pro Bowl. So I've I just – I mean – We've been looking Good for a playmaker research. like like you. Well, it's not the kind of research I want to do, John. <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be I'll be honest. I wish it was. I wish it was we, better. Well, we probably haven't gone to the playoffs too many times. Probably twice. 
suspends that game uh, alive also. So maybe there's a correlation between linebackers and playoffs. Let's be straight on that. Like, like that is obviously, I mean, I, I know it doesn't get talked about, like, say, pass rushing defensive end gets talked about or left tackle or quarterback or corner, but linebackers yeah. matter. Are, are they looking for the wrong things, in your opinion? First of all, you make a great point. I'd love to do some research on that across the league and see if there is a correlation between playoffs and linebackers outside inside pro bowl players, you know, and see if there's a correlation. But typically when you win and you go to the playoffs, you have good players and they get noticed. And so the, oftentimes that correlation is then they get onto the Pro Bowl. For the Dolphins, between uh, myself and Zach, and you're probably left with uh, scratching your head for some additional inside linebackers, I think Kiko, he, he's a playmaker. He's aggressive. I love how he plays. But, you know, that defense at times can be porous and at times can catch blocks instead of attack the blocks. So, you know, the question's still out on our defense as it is on our team. Um, but I don't think there's anybody who wouldn't want to see the Mike Singletary type, the Zach Thomas type, the leader of the defense, be the signal caller and the linebacker that's between the D-backs and the front line. I mean, to me, that's the quarterback. And uh, you, just like on offense, you're leaning towards who's going to play quarterback because he's going to carry the team. To some extent, you want a leader in the linebacker core that carries the team. Even if he's not the best player on defense, you want to look at that person and say he is the leader of the defense. When you look at those two young players in McMillan and Baker, what do you see? Yeah, they're young. You know, it's not easy to be a leader when you're a first or second year player. So I think they can grow into that role. I think they can grow into being a great player. I haven't seen a lot of it this year, but again, I think there's the challenges of the defense. And, um, you know, the, the challenges of the team kind of wrap that bundle together and uh, leave them in a, in a place of development. So, you know, I don't want to be too negative because they're, they're a four and three team. They're a team that can give you hope and then uh, uh, give you despair week to week. So I still like to think that um, they're, they're on solid ground with their coach and the framework. I just think they're young and need development and they have challenges and key positions that make NFL teams great. Quarterbacks, receivers, big plays they can do, but they're not day-to-day a dominant team. I want to ask you sort of a more philosophical football question, because we've seen that the Dolphins put their ninth player on injured reserve uh, so far this season. Um, last year, yeah. last year they had, I think, 19, although most of them were after this point in the year. When you see a lot of guys getting hurt, is the first thing you think, okay, that's just bad luck, things happen? Or does you start to question whether or not if a team is having a rash of injuries, maybe it's something on the training side or, or something else that's happening there that's leading to so many injuries at once? Yeah, so it's nine above the norm at this well, time of the well, it, it's the, above the, the it's season. above the it's above the norm for them the past few years. I did a little re- research on that. Now the Patriots have ten, but as always with the Patriots, it doesn't seem to be any of their key players. Uh, it's <laughs> it's like it's it's a lot of guys who got hurt in camp. Um, there, there's two yeah. that really were contributors. Whereas the Dolphins have lost uh, by my count six guys that they were counting on. Whether it was William Hayes or now Albert Wilson, uh, Josh, two guys on the offensive line, and Sitton and Kilgore that they were counting on, like they've lost yeah. like key key Start. players. And, yeah, yeah. And, and so I, it's always interesting to me because we we always talk about what okay, and you you had to play in the heat and you didn't have a bubble like they have now, and, right. and so and we had three days. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised <laughs> it was just three a days with Shula. Like I, I mean, I, I would assume it had twelve a days. So it, I mean, we talk about correlation, John. Is there any, in your view, correlation to the way guys are training, working out? or is this just this this stuff just happens that that's just that's just football yeah so i have been fascinated by the trend of the nfl and how it prepares its players for live game day action and uh what, what's happened over the years as there's been less and less contact in practice uh, less and less practice time and the the athletes have been left somewhat to themselves to be personally in shape and in condition for game. But uh, physical condition is different than uh, kind of like aerobic condition. And, um, you know, I'm just amazed because I, I went through uh, with Shula uh, very hard practices. I played practices like they were games. 
to the detriment, I, I believe, of my career. When I went into the game, there were days and weeks that I was like exhausted from being in the heat of my, uh, South Florida during the week. And, you know, now I'm going into the game feeling like fatigued and tired. But I have to admit that I was body ready, body conditioned for a physical kind of warlike environment. These days, you don't get that except game day. And I would, I, I struggle to understand how people can be game ready without having conditioned their body through camp and through um, practice for that game type environment. When I played, for the most part, there weren't all those rules about tackling. And um, there was clearly a spearing rule, which I never got. I never got one penalty in my entire career except for a holding penalty on a tight end that ran into me when he was running his pattern. So I couldn't believe that. But anyways, I never got a penalty. Wait, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Not one penalty in your entire career. You got one penalty and you remember the exact instance. Oh, absolutely. I got one penalty. Well, first of all, you know, so I'm not going to get an offsides call because they never blitz me. So what are the kind of penalty would I have like a hands of the face or a cheap shot or or a spearing but I never did because I was a clean tackler the only type of penalty you could get me is pass interference and I only had one of those when the guy ran into me those darn time anyway so you know nowadays it just frustrates me when I see a good solid tackle and that's unnecessary roughness or spearing or targeting or it just irks me because I think it's like there's an element of wussification in this this league that I mean it's like going to the MMA and saying you know you can't kick somebody well that's what makes the MMA what it is the NFL is not a, a bloodthirsty sport from a spearing standpoint but my gosh there's 300 pound people trying to put me on my back there's no way I'm going to uh, be able to be sensitive and gentle with a 300 pounder and then seconds later have to pull back and be gentle to a quarterback it's just too hard so I don't know did that answer your question in a roundabout way? Well, it gave me some research to do. The first thing I'm going to research is how is is when that penalty occurred. I I don't know. I still have the records of that. Do, do you remember who it was against? Who who ran into you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was a New England tight end. Bledsoe was the quarterback. I remember very well. He ran right up, uh, you know, kind of a seam route. I was just standing there in the seam. <laughs> He ran into me. I was like, "Damn, the guy just ran into me." I couldn't believe it. And then all of a sudden, I see a penalty flag, and he said, they said that I I caused a you know pass interference. And I was like, "Oh man, I am in position." I was really irked about that because I had a clear record for a while. I was going to go the whole career without a penalty. You probably can't believe it because I kind of played a, a reckless type of a game, but mm-hmm. I could actually. I mean, I could control myself, like a sideline hit and things like that. I mean, I felt very comfortable controlling myself and not getting those type of penalties. That's amazing. Uh, but we had Richmond Webb on with us uh, for an episode, and he remembered exactly how many sacks he'd given up to Bruce Smith, uh, two and a half, I believe. So I, I know guys remember this stuff through the years. We also asked Richmond something that I wanted to ask you. You talked about the way the game has changed. Uh, obviously, you played with, with Danny, not in the 84 season, but but obviously he was still playing at a pretty damn high level when you came in at 86. How many yards would he throw for? What's your number? How many yards would he throw for with the current rules in a single season? Great question. So it would be totally different from the standpoint of sacks, intimidation from D linemen, pass, defense, not being able to put uh, their hands on them and most importantly, the ability for receivers to catch the ball without fear of getting their head ripped off in, in, in a nice way, okay? Uh, by a <laughs> in a nice back. way. <laughs> I mean, those, those things make a difference. You know, so receivers can come across the middle, and really the only intimidation in, 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 a, in a nice way the defense had with those receivers coming across the middle is they had to keep their head on a swivel. Now they can kind of focus on the ball and be prepared to catch it without even being touched almost until, um, you know, they catch the ball and put a foot on the ground. So for Dan, I think those would have made major differences. And not so much for Dan, but for the receivers. And obviously the receivers would then effectively catch more balls and, and thereby through the transit property, Dan would, would have been a much better yardage and touchdown quarterback, which at the time he was the number one best quarterback ever. Before we get to your event, I want to ask you, we had Udonis Haslam on our pod, and we talked to him about some of the business opportunities that he's 
looked into now. He's gotten involved with, with Subway and a bunch of other ventures. And I know Jamal Mashburn did when he was with the Heat, and he's had a lot of success with that afterwards. What, in your view, uh, is the key for an athlete making a transition to business? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess I was on the front end of, you know, certainly taking the platform that football provided me and kind of segueing that into a career. My wife and I started our business. Our, we started a bagel business in 1990, and I retired in 1993. So about halfway through my career, we actually started an alternative career that ended up uh, you know, flourishing and, and being uh, very in, instrumental in my transition from football to life for the rest of my life. I do think there's a huge value in starting that process while you're still playing. Because that platform lasts in its prime for the time you play. And then once you become a past player and alumni, that platform diminishes quickly unless you have a reason. A lot of players go into public speaking or into the media, but they lose an opportunity to transition that platform into a, a second career that can help them for the rest of their lives. So it's not easy, though. And, you know, these days with the additional focus and payment of your performance, you better get the first thing right, the football thing. So when you start diverting your thought and, and your time and attention towards a second career while you're playing football, you better get the football thing right. I would encourage players, especially in the offseason, to start working. And it's not easy when you're making millions of dollars to start, you know, picking up trades or different interests in that moment. Even though you do have time, you have a season coming up and you want to prepare for that. Not an easy thing to do. And a lot of the players justifiably feel like they want to um, relax and uh, enjoy that time because it's fleeting and the season comes quick. So it's not an easy thing to do to prepare players for life after football. From a financial standpoint, from a career standpoint, uh, they're in the prime of their life and uh, they think it'll never end, which, as we know, it does. But I would encourage anybody to pick up uh, a second career talent uh, as soon as possible and start building your life uh, outside of just your football brand. John, uh, tell us about the event that's coming up. It is the Walgreens Gridiron Gorilla Food, Wine, and Music Festival. Tell us more about it. Yeah, so nine years ago, um, my wife and I started a food and wine festival in a parking lot. And uh, over the last nine years, with amazing base of sponsors and all of the volunteers, um, from legendary football players to unbelievably talented chefs, we've built a property called this year the Walgreens Gridiron Grilloff Food, Wine, and Music Festival that ends up being a three-day festival on the Pompano Beach Amphitheater and Park on the second weekend of November. That's November 9th through the uh, 12th, that just brings, quite honestly, football and food together off the grill. And so we do a high-end food and wine festival on Saturday the, the 9th. We also, at that same time, bring in 30 pitmaster barbecues to compete for $10,000 in the Gridiron Grilloff barbecue competition. Sunday, we bring in cornhole kind of pairs up with uh, football. And so, and all of us athletes can play cornhole. Honestly, anybody can play cornhole. So that's one of the few competitive things that um, it doesn't really have a barrier of age or, or talent. <laughs> so so uh, on Sunday, we actually have the American Cornhole League tournament uh, with a $10,000 prize, uh, prize also. Concerts, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. All of this stuff is uh, makes for a great weekend. And 100% of the proceeds go to our foundation, the Handoff Foundation, and that foundation feeds the needs of those in crisis, foster care, family homelessness, and supportive housing. So it's a lot there. The easiest way is just to go to gridirongrilloff.com, take a look at the tickets, um, just see the excitement, the support from the community and uh, the companies and corporations in the community like Toyota and Southern Wine and UPS and we just we we have such great support and um, ultimately it's a celebration where celebrity uh, competition and charity collide. And, How's that? And, are you gonna? Does that excite you? Are you ready to go? That, that, that is. We're we, we are. We, we have a watch party that Sunday for, for Dolphins uh, Packers, but I, I think I might head out there on Saturday. You're right about uh, you're right about cornhole that anybody can beat you because my four year old, we, we have it in the backyard and uh, she beat <laughs> yeah. me. 
and she beats me yeah. and, then, and then does her genius dance after she beats me yeah did she, she beat daddy so 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 anybody could do it i i now we need we need to get one thing from you here before well two things okay so i'm gonna ask you these two yeah. things quickly uh the first is um do you have one grilling tip because for somebody like me that is just terrible around the kitchen outside well just terrible everywhere essentially um i i've tried i've tried to do some grilling it's doesn't go great most of the time. Is there one like tip that you give novice grillers like myself so we don't embarrass ourselves when we have company? Yeah, I mean, I can come up with a, a couple tips. You ready for this? Have you ever heard of the 444 rule? I have not. So there's like 400 degrees is typically a grilling temperature. It's medium, medium high. And uh, it's a good place to kind of start many foods. So to get that temperature on a grill, nowadays they got temperature gauges and all that stuff. But if if you really do it the linebacker way, um, there's always a bit of uh, injury potential, and I lo- that's actually part of the fun. So I, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't look for safety uh, coming from me. So I put my little fingers, um, four of them actually, and I put them kind of on top of the grill. That's kind of hot. You can burn your singe your hair on your fingers, but if you put them on top, four four fingers high. So you measure that out with your hand. Be careful. Don't burn it. And then for, uh, let's see here. And you can hold it there for four seconds before it says, ouch, that's awfully hot. That's about 400 degrees. <laughs> what do you think? You like that one? You're burning me, John. Seriously. <laughs> now, I caution all kids under 18 and, uh, you know, toddlers, don't do that. But for grownups my age who've... Uh, you know, not not afraid of uh, you know putting your your body at risk a little bit. That's uh, kind of a fun one. Yeah, not not for forty five like year old it. idiots. I like yeah, it. I, 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 you just want me to burn the house down, Chris. Here's our last one. Here's our last one for you. And everybody should check out the event again. We're going to promote it on our Twitter account uh, fi- at Five Reason Sports. Also follow him at Gridiron Griller. Um, last one for you. Your last season was OJ McDuffie's first season. He he's now a host in our network. Uh, with Fish Tank, with, with Seth Levitt. Uh, how, hey, one question for you, because I have a feeling about this. How cocky was OJ when he was drafted? How cocky? Did you haze him at all? Gosh, you know, I'm not going to be a great answer on this one because um, I like OJ, and I would never say he was cocky. He might have been a little overconfident. How's that? But um, he, he backed it up with his play, and uh, I think he was one of Dan's favorite receivers. I mean, Dan had Duper and Clayton and that more and Jim Johnson and all those greats. But towards the end of his career, I just know he had a high amount of respect. I only had one year with OJ and that year was a diminishing year for me. I mean, I just kind of fizzled out of the league. And uh, that was his year of kind of establishing himself to my detriment. I probably wasn't more of an impact in his life. Um, and the uh, you know, I, I just have the highest respect for him. So if you were looking to, for me to throw him under the carpet or under the turf, or it's uh, that one on me. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah no, 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 no. <laughs> I throw him under the grill. I like that. I probably could do that. All right. <laughs> you're, John, you're good. All right, John Offerdahl. Well, I don't know how good I am. We'll see We'll see how good a griller I am and how good I am at Cordell. John Offerdahl, uh, check it out. Second weekend of November, going to be there in Pompano. Uh, we'll post it up on our site. Uh, and at Five Reasons Sports, everybody can can check that out. John, really appreciate the time today. Awesome, great job, guys. 